I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. Oh my god, we're back. I yes, missed you. Yes, it's been... I missed you too. It's been a summer. It has been a summer. Oh my goodness. How... How was yours? Um, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm still job hunting. Lots of stuff sucks mm. because I'm still job hunting. Hopefully by the time y'all hear this, I will have found a job and be like moving out of this little town that has been very lovely to me for two years, but has a very, very small uh, pool for dating women. And, mm. you know, it's starting to drive me crazy. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that pans out. <laughs> How has your summer been? My summer has been intense. Mm. I am now apparently gluten-free, vegan, and low FODMAP because bodies are complicated. Sounds like my year last summer. Or my yeah. summer last year, rather. Yeah, apparently it's a thing that's happening. Yeah, when you go around. through like big trauma. Yeah. IBS sets in and your entire gut is like, fuck no. It's just like on fire and it's terrible. But I also did a lot of traveling. I hung out in Northeast Ohio for three weeks and now I have homesickness for a place that I've only spent like three weeks in. Are you going to move to Ohio? Eventually. It's not on fire. So like it's, it's got that going for it. Yeah. And apparently they have public bathrooms. They have public bathrooms. <laughs> the, the city of Akron took out car lanes and put in a protected bike lane, BRT, and an extra wide sidewalk. It's it's the socialist future that I want to live in out in the West Coast, but isn't happening out here because where were all the hippies who couldn't get along with anyone else came out to live instead. Um, is that what it is? Yeah. So that and... So how, what do they do instead of getting along with people? That's another conversation, sorry. Yeah, that's that's a I could tell you, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's Probably another conversation lots of drugs. entirely. That or city council meetings. Mm. Or both often. Yes. Yeah. They mix well, I hear. They do, in fact. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh so we some really big um small world news happened this summer. Yeah. Like, really, really big. When this news broke, my, one of my besties called me up with a bottle of wine and was like, a toast to the fact that (laughs) our parents have been proved wrong by the creator of their theories. And I was like, yes. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to, you want to share with our our listeners what they might have missed? So you might remember... A couple episodes ago, and I'm by a couple, I mean our seventh episode. <laughs> Way we back when about, we were little babies. Yeah. We talked about courtship, and we talked about Josh Harris, and... Because these were things that we both suffered through. Right. How I Kiss Dating Goodbye and Boy Meets Girl affected our adult lives. And as it turns out, a couple weeks ago, Josh Harris and his now ex-wife... Uh, wrote a post about them getting divorced and then other 
things happened, but maybe we should take this one step at a time. Yeah, I think these these are these are two separate events. Like obviously we can't know what is happening in someone else's marriage and we can't know the full story of why they decided to split up. But the fact that they did is a really huge deal because Josh Harris was the little 21-year-old proselytizer for courtship when he wrote his first book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, back mm-hmm. in 1997. And this, I, this concept had existed beforehand, before him, but he was really the catalyst for that taking off and like having a... Um, like a momentum platform. Yeah. A momentum that it hadn't had before, before it had been like showing up in like, uh, you know, all these like subculture homeschool co-op or homeschool convention or homeschool, like parenting retreat kind of spaces. Like it was this Neo Victorian kind of concept about like, yeah, well back in the day they did courting and like they sat with the family and hung out with the parents Mm and like, like, and and it was this, like, kind of, like, weird, bad historic analysis of, like, how people used to do things being better. It was this romanticism for the past, which is often tied with white supremacist kind of yep. thinking. So, like, there's those roots that you could be looked into. But Josh grew up, well, we, we'll get into this later, but Josh grew up kind of in a world where this was was a a byword. And so he, he grew up immersed with this concept. And, um, I guess as the story goes, he like dated someone in high school and it ended badly. And so he like was like, wow, shit. Like my parents are right. I, this courtship stuff is the way to go. Yeah. Not practicing with other people is definitely the recipe for a successful marriage. <laughs> so the, Karen is referring here to, um, the fact that, uh, the popularized line from the book is dating is practice for divorce because you like that whole like non-commitment thing is like a way of just like getting what you want and getting out. Right. Because if you know that you can leave at any time, then what's the point of having a re- relationship? Right. And also that's like totally why people get married so they can get Divorce. divorce right <laughs> like that's why you do the legal it thing assumes that is hard so to undo. much bad faith on the part of the people getting married in every other part of the world it's so silly but yeah so he he really like he, this book was sold by a, a an imprint of random house and it fucking took off like i don't know i couldn't i looked around i couldn't find like how many copies were sold but i it's it's like it was ubiquitous. It's Everybody who so. went to church knew what it was, had heard of it, even if they hadn't read it. Like, it was every. It's a million plus copies. Like, it sold yeah. a lot of copies. And and it was second only to Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers as, like, the best-selling book that that publisher had ever published. I know, because they interned there one summer. So, that was super cute. So when I first heard about it was in 2000, although I am sure I had been exposed to the concept before. I know I'd like heard of it, but like the first time I heard about it was from one of my friends in San Francisco. We were up for a visit and like, she was like, Hey, have you heard of this book? And it was like, I I was 11 and she was like, this is the way we do things. And 
You know, what's interesting is, like, I had been told about courtship from way, 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 way back when I was a little mm-hmm. kid. But I never heard of the book. I remember before I got told, like, about this book and how I should read it. Remember, like, telling my, like, six-year-old friend when I was, like, seven, oh, like, I don't have a crush on anyone. I am not allowed to have a boyfriend until I'm ready to get married. Like, right. so yeah. I knew of it, but I hadn't heard of the book. And then she's like, this friend in San Francisco is like, this book is, is, like, so good. This is how I want to live my life. This is, like, everything. You have to read it. And so that's when I read it for the first time. Yeah. And it's, like, it's the thing. As soon as I, like, tell people, like, oh, this is how I grew up. They're like, have you ever heard of this book? It <laughs> fucked me up. Yeah. Like, people who look relatively normal, people who weren't super involved in church, people who, like, have, like, supportive parents, like, <laughs> like, right. people Not whose, people like, who parents smoked cults, pot with them, like, they yeah. still read this book. It's, like, everywhere. Yep. So... When did you... So now he's breaking all those rules. Now he's yeah. breaking all these rules. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, I read it... Probably... I want to say I read it in, like, 2005. But I had also heard of courting, and my parents told me when I was, like, seven or so that that's what we were going to be doing right. instead of dating. So, like, I knew kind of what it was and that I wasn't going to be dating, but I didn't get the book until I was, like... Older. Yeah, 13, 14 or so. Um, um, and then I read that, and then I read the sequel. Which and is, then yeah. I did not read the boys' book because it was a boys' book. It's not a boys' book, though. That's a thing. Um, yeah, so, I know. Okay, so Boy Meets Girl, <laughs> Boy Meets Girl is... Um, the sequel and it's like okay so now that you've like saved yourself from dating until you were ready and now you're ready to date how do you do it in the godly way let's talk about courtship 101 so it's like it's like the recipe for marriage and the way i heard it framed and i need to find the article to like put in the show notes but the way i heard it framed by one writer who was responding to this news was josh harris taught the prosperity gospel of dating Yes. If you do these things, you will have a perfectly happy marriage. If you do these things, and you will get it right, and you won't get divorced. If you do these things, you'll get it right, and God will be pleased with you, and you will have the best sex of your life. Yep. Because you wouldn't possibly be able to have good sex unless you did it this way. Like, and you wouldn't know. Right. Right. But that was that was you know (laughs) another logical fallacy that was you know pretty common in that book. But um. Yeah, you would have no idea what you were missing because if you had only had sex with one person, you would know, you know, only that one right. person. And it would be the would be most mind-blowing, greatest sex of your life because you'd be only having it with that one person forever. Yeah, which is definitely... Definitely the way to do definitely it. Definitely how that works, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the other interesting thing about these two books is that I Kiss Dating Goodbye was written before he was married. Yes. And, and the second Boy one, Meets Girl was written before or after. I believe it was like the first year of their marriage. I think it was like Yeah, right it was like married. yeah. Now, now courtship right like it's all going to be very fresh in his mind cuz courtship like the, the the way it was like prescribed is like you do it super quick so that you like don't have any time to think about it twice. Get no, lusty. actually no, you do it super quick so that you don't get tempted to fuck. 
Yes. Which is... <laughs> Which is why there's that whole I... part about being on a hammock. And now any time that I'm in a hammock with my partner, Do you I get just a boner? Like, have this moment <laughs> where I like remember that book and that part of Boy Meets Girl. It was like, I had to get out of the hammock because I saw my girlfriend's legs and it they was making hot. me stumble. And I just like chuckled to myself. Yeah, yeah, the, like that that scene is like so so memorable. It's like the opening scene of both those books are just like so well written. And that's like that's like the problem with him is he's like he's charming. He's so sweet. He's um a really gentle, like funny, soft-spoken guy. And so like in these books he comes across as like super sincere and and like personable and it's so easy to read and it's so easy to remember. It's very you know, he's, he's, it does, stays like, with you and that's why it ruined a lot. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something related to, oh, the boys book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you wrote a couple other book. books. One was, um, first, uh, sex is not the problem. Lust is, was the name of the sermon it was based off of. I can't remember the name of the, Maybe that's what the book became because it was first published under not even a hint. And then I think it was republished under Sex is Not the Problem List is, which was the sermon title. And it was actually, like, to his credit, like, it's the first book I ever ran into that talked about sexuality in terms of desire only rather than making it just a men's problem. Mm Mm-hmm. It talked about desire being, like, a universal issue. So that was really refreshing for me to read as, you know, like, a horny little teenager who, like, hated myself because I was masturbating so much. Right. I had something that, like, actually kind of addressed it. But, of course, it was only used in men's Bible studies. Right. <laughs> and yeah. at the men's retreat. And da 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 Yeah. And it was basically, like, if you were a girl reading it, then, like, you were weird. Right, and I like read it probably like fifteen times because I was a horny little teenager. So, did you ever go to New Attitude? I did not go to New Attitude because this is like a point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's like a point of resentment or a point of humor because you were getting married. I I was getting married, and it was more like. I just never had the money to go, or I would have gone because all my friends were going. Right. Because that's where a lot of a lot of my friends met up. So I would have like gone for that, but no, I didn't go. And then yeah, I was getting married at that time, and I was like, <laughs> "Ha, so the- I get to like have sex, so it's fine." <laughs> so New Attitude was this yeah. conference that Josh started, um, and it started as a magazine. When he was 16, and it was, like, basically, like, it was the revolution light. It was, like, yeah. do hard things. You're a teenager, but, like, you're called by God. It was all very, like, First Timothy, second, like, First and Second Timothy influence. It was very much, like, you know, don't let yourself be disqualified because of your age and da-da-da-da, you know. And so it was, like, kind of, like, spiritual guidance stuff for Christian teens who were focused on chastity and... I don't remember, like, who was distributing it, but it was pretty popular. I know a lot of people read it. And it turned into a conference that was then taken over by Sovereign Grace Ministries when he joined that group. And um, that conference had a huge draw. Like, it took over... We took over the conference center in Louisville and in Baltimore. 
like a couple years running. Like Louisville for a long time was where it was hold, held. And I remember like driving back and forth. But yeah, so it had a big draw. And it wasn't just Sovereign Grace people. It was a lot of people from all over the country mm-hmm. who would fly in for that. And I think it ran for like a decade. Yeah, it ran for a really long time. So he wrote these books. He wrote this magazine. He started this conference. He was involved with Sovereign Grace Ministries. That's a whole other story. And then he's getting divorced. So what does that mean? Like, what does that signal? That means that, one, we're doing fine. (laughs) We're doing great. We are ahead. But also... We're ahead of the curve. (laughs) Yeah. But also... It I like it feels really validating because everything that I thought about that that was wrong also is and like Josh Harris getting divorced is just like yes see yeah even even he couldn't make it work and it was like his presentation that got all of this going yeah and like it's just it's like it's hard divorce is hard and like right I don't know why it happened and it's all whatever and there's I a lot that, of speculation there's a lot of like, like it if works you go out and read, for the best of them and that's like, the other thing too is i am really excited for them to have a chance to like right be themselves because they've never had that josh has been on a pedestal his entire life he's never had a chance <laughs> to just exist yeah and be. it's a huge deal <laughs> so. so like like okay so there's a lot of there's a lot of responses there's a whole lot of like ah, fuck that guy, like, karma. There's a whole lot of, like, people from the conservative Christian, you know, world that he came out of who are just like, oh, my God, we're so sad, and, like, you're falling away from the Lord, and, like, you have abandoned your calling, and, like, all this crap. His own father, Greg Harris, posted a sad face on the Instagram post that announced this news. Um, mm-hmm. His former mentor, who we've talked a lot about, Josh Harris, uh, Mike Ferris. Mike Ferris. <laughs> Josh Ferris, Mike Ferris, same guy. No, different guy. Very, very different guy. Uh, now, <laughs> Mike is calling himself his mentor. I don't think that that's fair because I know that CJ Mahaney was actually really his mentor. Um, mm. And CJ, as far as I know, hasn't responded to this yet. But some of CJ's old buddies, like Al Moore and shit, have um, of course, yeah. But Mike, who decides to, you know, butt into all these conversations, is like, <laughs> you know, you've walked away from your marriage. That's not right. You've walked away from your faith in Christ. That's even worse. This says nothing about Jesus and a great deal about you embracing the LGBT agenda, which is, like, cute that he's, you know, forgetting the Q <laughs> on there. It's probably the first time he've ever, he's ever written that acronym. He probably yeah. had to Google it to make sure he got it right. <laughs> Uh, my heart aches for you in so many ways. Uh, it just, just, this means that you never actually knew him, which is like the most, the most Presbyterian bullshit I've ever heard. Like, yeah. like that. So this is the, the like, um, logical. Well, we should, we should back up real quick, real fast because yeah. the, the thing that ferris is also referencing is the post that josh made a couple of days after the divorce post right which is right, 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 that sorry. he doesn't believe in god anymore i'm jumping ahead so yeah it doesn't necessarily say he doesn't believe in god anymore and well, i think it more true. says he's deconstructed and he's not a christian anymore that is so true. he could be an agnostic yeah but like he could still be an agnostic like who knows but the point is he got to a point with 
And I, and we were talking about this before we got going where a lot of our deconstruction came down to like treating people well versus the theology. And at a certain point you can't save the theology anymore. You have to, if you want to treat you people well. You have to abandon it. Yeah. So that seems to be what has happened with him. So his second post was a follow-up a couple days later. Said he deconstructed, was an apology to, like, all the people he had hurt who, like, you know, especially, like, the LGBTQ community. And, like, and it didn't sound like it was the first time he was saying those that acronym. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he yeah. had to Google it. Uh, no. And he was like, yeah. Um, so there's, like, a, it's a two-part, like, one, they're getting divorced. They've both changed a lot. Two, by the way, he's not a believer anymore. And it's because mm-hmm. the theology didn't hold up for treating people well. Yeah. And I think that's, that you know, um, that's a really important point is, is, like, when you put the humanity of these people first, uh, you can't really build a worldview that works well in the 21st century that's based off of, like, a time when women were property. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was... And that's the thing that, that Mike Ferris doesn't understand in his reply and, and that all of the Christian conservatives don't understand in their reply right. is that when people who used to be really devout Christians, like we all were, leave... It's not because of a lack of soul searching or a lack of not knowing God. It's precisely because we do know and we know too much and we know how deep it goes and we can't separate out what we want to be true about right. God and the Bible with it's because, what and, is and this true is like this is like what learned. we what I talk about with like people who are like, Oh wow, you've changed so much and I'm like, I still care about all the things I ever cared about. I just have discarded the systems that don't work for effectively caring about these issues. Like, so, you know, caring about the poor, caring about, like, the downtrodden, caring about, like, marginalized and abused people groups. Like, this, like, colonialist Christian system really doesn't work for that. No. So when you start deconstructing all these things, you start discovering this, like, your value set stays in place. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate in that post it was like yes. because his value set stayed where it was and he really sincerely wanted to care about people, he couldn't stay where he was. And I love, like, this guy didn't go to college until after all this shit blew up and um, with Sovereign Grace Ministries. And so he goes to seminary. He, like, was homeschooled all the way through, becomes a senior pastor, like, leads this church through this huge upheaval and crisis that, like... It, basically demonstrates that it was a cult that he was like brought Mm -hmm. up in leaves as soon as he possibly can without like destroying everything that has been, you know, made out of that healing process for that church moves out of the fucking country to go to seminary. Yeah. And then is like, Oh shit, (laughs) this isn't going to work. And like, Say what you will in terms of, like, the harm that he's done and the harm that that book has done. That takes some balls, and I respect that. Yeah, that's my feeling as well. Like, I'm I'm cautiously skeptical, and I'm watching to see if he 
learns and does the work, but I also know exactly what this backlash feels like right. and that he has like gone out and done that and kind of accepted it and like is, you know, well, there's stuff to watch, but like I also respect it because it is a huge thing and it feels weirdly validating to be able to like share this space with them the space being the like we left all of that behind because we tried to make it work and we couldn't and now hi welcome to the club of finding out who you are way later than you should right and and we keep saying this is a really big deal and um we'll get to that why we understand this to be a really big deal in a minute and why we don't just like outright hate him because i think there's a lot of layers that have to be unpacked here um in a way that's not like apologetic for like a right. very popular male figure um well, all of the things can be true he yeah. can have one caused a lot of damage which he did and hurt a lot of people which he did and also be capable of changing right um yeah so what are your do you have any predictions like i know like he like, did his, like, faux-pology tour with his, like, little documentary that, like, really doubled down. Not doubled down. It was, like, I'm sorry for the hurt, and Mm. also the Bible, like, I really can't change what the Bible says, and the Bible, like, basically comes to these conclusions, and I I don't know what to do with it, which is not really an apology. And it's not taking responsibility for anything. No, not apology or Um, any of that. No, I, by the way, like, you remember that, like, fight with Dana Gresh on the yes. internet? Because she came yes. to my college and did a whole bunch of slut-shamey stuff um, that spread, oh, I was just, like, a lot of bullshit about queer people and about STIs and, like, I don't know. It was, like, a lot of, like, really bullshit sex ed m- myths that she was propagating, like, like mm-hmm. in in addition to like her her like deeply misogynistic teaching, right? Um, and so I like wrote something about it because I was like mad that she spoke in chapel like the spring of my senior year and like went off and or like no a year after I graduated, and she emailed me because her husband like stalked me down and was like because he was mad at me. And he wanted her to talk to me and get me to apologize. And so she and I had a phone conversation about, like, how she was misunderstood. And we didn't really solve anything. But, we, but like, (laughs) I explained to her, like, you know, where I was coming from and, like, why I was so angry about it. And she, like, definitely, like, was taken aback by it and, like, had a whole moment about it and apologized for the hurt I'd been through, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. Um... But in the documentary that Josh has, they have – she sits down with him and they have this whole conversation about it. Not about that, oh, but just about critics. Right, right. But I don't think she really had – I don't think she, like, had a phone call with anyone else from that time period. She's hmm. clearly referring to, like, her conversation with me and, like, like that whole experience <laughs> of like, yeah, it sucks to have these critics like come after you. And like, you know, when you're just like telling what the Bible says and like da 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 da. And he's like just kind of listening and smiling and nodding. And, and it's interesting because it's, it's that dichotomy of like, yeah, well, this is what the Bible says. So I have to teach right. it. And it hurts people. 
Yeah. So I don't know what to do with it because, you know, that changes your views of God and whatever. So anyway, um, I think that that is a really, you know, I think his apology was not an apology. And, you know, I can I can say that while also being like, and it really sucks to be in the place he's in. <laughs> right. And and we can both say this because we've both been there. Yeah. Like, that happened. <laughs> that happened in our lives. Right. Right. <laughs> so, what else What else should people know about him that they may not know? We're going to get into this a little bit more about his past, but, like, in terms of his, like, the stuff that people who didn't necessarily read the book should know about how he's seen by people who did read the book. Well, he's basically, like, the homeschooling poster child. Oh, right. He's the person everyone looks up to. Because he was homeschooled. Um, right. Yeah, which is, like, the huge other reason that he was so popular in homeschooled circles is because this is a homeschooler who is published. I mean, it was, like, his dad's publishing company, but shush, no one cares. No, it wasn't. Uh, he was with Random. Oh, it, it was with Random House. It was a Random oh House goodness. imprint. It was a real publishing company. Okay. New so Attitude, the met. magazine, was published with his, you know, that's, like, that's the home press. That's what I was press. getting confused. Like, yeah. Is, yeah, it was the home press that, that I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, anyway, his dad's really famous for, like, Really being famous, homeschooling being pioneer. Really, like uh, within our parents' set, and no yeah. wellness. <laughs> right, like our yeah, parents like, and their friends all know who he is. Yeah, yeah. it was a very small, famous homeschool Which, pioneer. Um, as all this news comes out, I discovered his father has. Um, st- I, I don't know if he's still working the homeschool circuit, but his main gig now is running a terrarium shop. In Portland. What? What? And it's his whole thing. We need to go on a field trip. His whole thing is that he's a Theodore Roosevelt impersonator who runs a terrarian shop. So, like, it's, I think it's called Roosevelt's. Oh, my God. You can't see the face that I'm making right now, but. (laughs) It's good. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So, uh, don't give your money to that shop. Uh, my friend Justin, who lives there, like texted me the other night. He was like, "So, I was in there the other day, and then I went across the street to the coffee shop, and they were playing CCM. So I left. The whole block was skeezy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, mm-hmm. so just stay out of that neighborhood of Portland, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's like a three block radius or something. I don't know. Oh my god, Christian's coming in and ruin the neighborhood." Yeah, it's, um, it was. <laughs> I mean. No surprise. Like, though. yeah. It, it's more of the combination. The homeschool con man lifestyle really doesn't last terrarium. very long. Yeah. Oh, but if you, you guys have to Google Greg Harris. Like, I'm not going to put his face on our show notes. But, like, no. you should see. Like, he looks like Teddy Roosevelt. So, like, there's a reason he's doing there's that. There's a reason he's doing the impersonation while yeah. selling terrariums. Yeah. He would probably impersonate G.A. Henty if he could grow a beard that big. And if G.A. Henty was well-known. But since he isn't, Theodore mm, Roosevelt's a yeah. good second choice. <laughs> yeah, Hobbies. So, Kieran, you want to take a break here, and then uh, we'll introduce our special guest for this episode? 
Yes. All right. And we're back. And we're back with our special guest this time. Tobe, you want to introduce yourself to the, the crew here? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tope. I am a former member Covenant Life Church, Joshua Harris's uh, former church, and semi-retired <laughs> uh, or on, on uh, indefinite hiatus writer about evangelicalism, race, gender, and sexuality in American evangelicalism. I used to write a lot about the topic, have not for several years now, but still keep an eye on things and, uh, you know, spend most of my time working on other things and hanging out with my daughter. I'm so glad you could join us. And Thank that you for you're willing me. to come out of retirement to comment on this, you know, momentous occasion. Development, yes. <laughs> So we've kind of caught up our listeners on um, why this is a big deal and how, you know, it's interesting that Josh seems to have taken the same tactic for his deconversion that Kieran and I did in terms of like, we still value all the same things, but started as we unpacked our Christianity more and more, we discovered that it really didn't support any of those values. Right. And so that seems to be like why he's deconverting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he went to seminary. And realize it wasn't salvageable, basically, is what it seems to be. Was that your experience, too? Yeah, I think I would say so. Um, my, I think my core values haven't really changed since I left um, evangelicalism um, and then church all together. For me, I think just... I. How do I put this? What I picked up on as a kid as sort of what was essential to the gospel was very different from what everyone else around me seemed to. So, for example, the fundamental dignity of all people because we're all created in God's image, right? <laughs> right, then, right. Like yeah. actual things that drive human rights conversations. Right. Or that, you know, true religion is taking care of the widow and the orphan, things like Mm -hmm. that. Or that if you have two coats and you don't give one of them to someone who needs one, then Jesus will deny you. (laughs) Right. When like, stop performing your prayer in the public square and actually, like, do shit. Right. (laughs) So those are things that I still believe, uh, not within a scriptural or Christian framework, but I think they're good ethical principles. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that that was also my experience that the older I got, the less it seemed like the church actually cared about that stuff. And what they did care about were things that um, were either ethically and morally irrelevant or actually counter to what I thought was ethical or moral. Right, right. Yep. And we saw that a lot more clearly when Sovereign Grace Ministries came under fire for basically covering up a, a ring of pedophilia in the church for right. decades. 
for instance. For instance. As one, one small example. Mm. <laughs> now, you, um, you got married at CLC. Did you court? Yes, I got married at CLC. Um, I sort of courted. Um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I sort of took my own, like, amalgamation of I'm going to do what I want to do, but I still want parental invo- involvement and approval. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. basically, uh, the person I ended up marrying, I, we had talked about liking each other separate from our parents and we didn't live in the same place and our parents didn't go to the same church although their parents also used to attend CLC Mm -hmm. um so we kind of independently got into a relationship and then when I told my parents they flipped out and um told us to stop speaking immediately um (laughs) doesn't sound familiar at all (laughs) relate. so this was in like April and I was going home from I was my sophomore year of college and I was going to be going home um, at the beginning of May so they they said stop talking until you come home which we actually did and then I had a conversation when we got home and they kind of wanted us to just keep not talking and I was like that's not what we discussed (laughs) and um yeah they really didn't approve of the relationship until we were living in the same city and essentially they decided it was better to give their permission for us to get married than for us to like accidentally fall into having sex with each other or something right Uh, so go be living in sin now could you yeah so that's all of that to say, like, I, it did very much matter to me that this is my only relationship, uh, the only relationship I had before I got married. And that was very much influenced by Boy Meets Girl and um, I Kiss mm-hmm. Dating Goodbye. I, I was just thinking about this today. Like, there was a sense in which it would have felt like all the ways in which I kind of didn't do the ideal thing would have been even worse if we ended up not getting married right exactly yeah (laughs) uh so there was that and i i did really want my parents approval and involvement i didn't realize i was never gonna get it (laughs) um common problem (laughs) yep yeah so sort of we sort of courted um, but you're, but you're, you're, you're bona fide in terms of like you grew up with this stuff. This was like kind of ubiquitous in your expectations of how this should go. Well, our family joined CLC when I was uh, starting ninth grade, so okay. I was only going to CLC, you know, like every week, um, year round for four years, okay. um, and then during summers when I was home from college. Right. Um, before that, we were at a different um, a Pentecostal church in mm-hmm. Baltimore County where people did date. Mm-hmm. Now, ah. they had like, it wasn't like a, like a free-for-all, but uh, people, people, people. <laughs> I, I, love, I love how that's, 
that's like always the word, the phrase that we go to for these things because that's what our parents <laughs> always said. And I think that's what the, it, it wasn't an orgy, is child. what it means. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there were still like, uh, you know, ideally parents will be involved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, definitely no sex before marriage and as little sort of physical expiration before marriage as possible but it was not expected at all that you would only start dating when you were ready to get married it was not expected at all that like every single dating relationship must instantly have possible marriage as you Mm -hmm. know in its sights and Mm -hmm. it was just like people dated like normal people everywhere else you know like um they had boyfriends from when they were, you know, 14, 15, 16, um, and had several until they found whoever it was that they were going to settle down with. Um, so I didn't grow up with that from the church, but uh, my family's Nigerian, and um, culturally, uh, you don't really talk to your parents about dating someone unless you're saying I'm marrying this person right Uh so like people don't introduce um people that they're dating to their parents until like they're fairly sure until it's already done that this is somebody that they they want to pursue marriage with right right right. um and then otherwise everybody just kind of pretends that dating doesn't happen um and parents like really discourage um explicitly discourage any kind of sort of dating for fun Mm. (laughs) um Mm. so i got that from like culturally but there wasn't any of the framework that Mm -hmm. i kiss dating goodbye and boy meets girl put to it you know it was just sort of this you know you need to be serious about school and like you, you know Nigerian girls don't mess around with boys mm-hmm. you know and I don't want to see you doing xyz and it was just sort of an expectation that didn't really need to be elaborated until <laughs> we joined CLC and then it was a whole different story right so okay so I think between the three of us we could probably be able to cobble together a pretty good like oral biography of Josh Harris Um, and the reason I kind of want to do that with the the rest of this episode, um, the reason I wanted you to come on is we've all been talking, um, separately from each other, but I've had this conversation with Kieran and I've had this conversation with you about how, how complicated it is to just watch people say, oh, fuck this guy. He's got cis white male privilege. And like, you know, I, I wish like pain and suffering on him like this is karma this is like so great I'm so happy like he is hurting and going through this because like while there's like some feeling of vindication on I think all of our parts for like yeah he finally caught up to us and like is doing going through the same stuff that we did there's a whole backstory to where he came from and how he was put in these positions of authority in a really young and ages in really weird ways that like makes any of that kind of like schadenfreude like really uncomfortable for me personally to participate in yeah 
Where would you like to start (laughs) with discussing that? Um, Well, I think one of the things to start with would be like, like Bill Gothard really came up with the concept of courtship as Josh peddled it. Uh Greg Harris was like the, the founder of the homeschool movement as we know it, if you will. And CJ Mahaney who's like a master manipulator was his mentor and then just like left him with the bill yeah. at the end of the day with this like group of churches that was reeling from this like revelation of, you know, years and years and years of child abuse. Yeah. So those are the three things I, I was thinking about covering. I we, we quoted a little bit from Mike Ferris's um, mm. little cute little open letter um oh i missed oh you missed it hold on let me google (laughs) it's on his it's on his like public facebook page Uh, i have to go on facebook um Uh, yeah it's it's yeah i'm sure you'd have feelings about it and by cute i mean it was uh, it was full of the same guilt tripping stuff that everyone who is angry at someone for getting divorced and leaving the faith has said yeah it's really it's I don't know, like, do you think they have, like, a, an Emily Post for writing these letters? Because it's, like, a facsimile of the ones that we got. Right? I'm like, this looks like everything that I was told by literally every Christian as soon as I came out as agnostic. Like, I actually didn't um, get a lot of backlash for getting divorced. but Because you were, because like, already too was, far gone by the time. Yeah, I was so removed, and I'd already, like, disowned the faith for several years at that point. Everybody that was, was like, sort of like, they're trans-pagan, like, obviously, this is right, why it happens. yeah. So. Who cares if they, they get like, divorced? It was really only a matter of time. I think, I mean, I, I we, it does kind of seem like they're all reading off a script. I, right. And I think it, that just speaks to the narrowness and... Um, the fearfulness mm. of um, how they've been trained to think about Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find this in, in conversations with family members about, uh, you know, where I am spiritually or where I'm not, rather. Uh, and they just can't hear anything that I say. I must be miserable and floundering because mm-hmm. I'm no longer a Christian, right? Or I must be taking the easier way out. You're not you know, asking hard questions. Because yeah. I want to just, I just want to be the master of my own ship and do whatever I want and not have to meet any moral standards. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm leaving this difficult path right. <laughs> um, for for my, you know, it, so it's the story that they all have in their heads about what it means, A, not to be a Christian mm-hmm. as far as they define it, but specifically what it means to have been raised in the church or mm-hmm. to have become a Christian and then leave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is that, you know, we're doing this really difficult, noble thing and like some people just can't hack it. They just want to do what they want to do and, you know, just kind of like have an easy life. And that's why they leave, which is 
as we all know, like, <laughs> so divorced from reality. Well, See what and, I did there? Yeah, and, and it, I think it goes back to what we were commenting on earlier. I read some some writer did a think piece on this, and I, I got to find the, the link to cite it properly. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. But somebody referred to I Guess Dating Goodbye and Boy Meets Girl as like the prosperity gospel of dating. Yeah. And so there's also this layer of like, not just the narrow thinking that you're describing and like the whole like romanticization of being so different from the world um, by choosing this lifestyle and making these, these choices to homeschool and have all these kids or, or to court or whatever. But like there's this, this sense of like our bet didn't pay off. Mm -hmm. And, and this is the, the kind of the impression I've gotten from my conversations with my dad in terms of like, how he feels about how disappointed he is in me or not, or, you know, how he views parenting or, or whatever. Like it's, it's this, like he was looking for this like spiritual legacy and now he's not getting it. Um, and so there's not, there's like some sense of responsibility for it, but there's also this like, like you didn't do it right. Mm. No two Scotsmen kind of, kind of, thinking of like yeah clearly yeah. like somewhere you you misstepped and like i can't fix it yeah it's like well obviously you weren't a true believer right and i saw tweet um i saw at least one tweet and several comments after josh made this announcement that you know one of them was quoting the scripture that they went out from us because they were not of us right um, and it's infuriating because how, like, somebody who devoted his entire adult life, 25 years at this point, almost 25 years, to the church, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how... He the, doesn't have a career you know, this, without this, like, yeah, and he is yeah. actively yeah. choosing to walk away from it. You don't just do that. No. Yeah. So a lot of waving, hand-waving about, oh, well, he was just never of us. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, that's really insulting and disrespectful (laughs) to what he spent over two decades of his life doing. But secondly, it also kind of speaks to a real, like, lack of discernment on your part if somebody could fool you. (laughs) For that long. (laughs) For that long that they were, like, a really, like, faithful and devout Christian to the extent that you made him a senior pastor of a church and you, like, you know, endorsed his book to the point (laughs) where it became a million book bestseller and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes you look really dumb. Well, this is this is the thing <laughs> that like it's in jo- it's in Mike Ferris's letter. You know this means that you never actually knew him. But it's a, that's a line from that open letter. <laughs> so Mike, <sighs> let's talk about your skills of discernment. Okay, um, quick overview on Bill Gothard and Greg Harris before we keep going. Bill Gothard yes. was like the original quiverful cult leader. Um, and homeschool world leader. Like, he started his evangelism ministry in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's very old. He's very old school. somehow still alive. 
This is what happens when you drink the blood of virgins, Karen. Apparently. <laughs> so, sorry. Bill Gothard is a serial predator. That's why I made that joke. I'm so sorry. That was a bad joke. Um, no, but Bill Gothard, so he started this whole thing and he wrote curricula. And ATI, which the Gothards adhere to, is his homeschool curriculum. But he also had a courtship curriculum. And if I'm not mistaken... Um, Josh Harris grew up going to those ATR conferences. And so he would have been exposed to not just Bill Gothard's like homeschooling, like character building, spiritual values, theology stuff, but he would have also been exposed to Bill Gothard's like neo-Victorian romantic courtship teachings. And lest we give Gothard the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's had any relationship experience at all. He, As far as I am aware, he is still unmarried and lives with his mother. I was literally mother? just about to ask that. Yeah. His brother I, went to jail like, for pedophilia and... He himself has been disgraced. He himself point. has yeah. been disgraced and he's never been married. Yeah. So he has zero experience in these actual matters that isn't being an abusive terrible excuse for maybe a human right but like this is this is the water he he grew up in and so like just like you and me like he grew up being a true believer in these things that were ubiquitous in his upbringing so then his father who is greg harris guys besides the owner of a (laughs) plant shop in portland (laughs) That's that's all I know now is he is a Teddy Roosevelt impersonator at a terrarium. That's all that matters. That's all. Okay, but who was he? <laughs> I mean, he used to uh, like write a lot of books and do things. Yes. So, um I I think I I only have a part of the picture and maybe Kieran can fill more of that in, but um from what I know about Greg, uh, he, he <laughs> there there are a lot of, there are a lot of interesting things about and relevant things about how he uh, built a career in Christian homeschooling circles, <laughs> and specifically how Josh and uh, Josh's siblings, his brothers in particular were kind of at the center of that. Mm-hmm. So um, Greg would go around, and I should say um, I was not homeschooled, actually. I went to public school, uh, for high school at least. The previous church that we were part of, I went to their Pentecostal church school, and that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole story. Other but I've, <laughs> I've, never, I've, never been, <laughs> I've never been homeschooled. But there's no way not to learn something about homeschooling culture when you're the member of a church like CLC where literally 90% of the kids were homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're not homeschooled, they go to the CLS. Covenant Life School. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody else went to Covenant Life School. And, you know, Which there were maybe like a couple dozen of us. Which is just like homeschooling on steroids. Yeah. Um, there were maybe, and I think this is like a wild overestimate, maybe a couple dozen of us um, kids in the church who went either to a Christian school that was not Covenant Life School or went to a public school. Well, and that was um, my experience so, in my my uh, Sovereign Grace Ministries church in Richmond too. It was a very a very similar. We didn't have a, pri- a a private school affiliated with the church, but yeah, yeah it was a very small number of people who didn't go 
homeschool their kids. Right. Um, so you learn some, even if, even as someone who's not as part of the church's homeschooling scene, because everybody you're friends with at church is homeschooled, you mm-hmm. learn some things. Um, so we also like learned a little bit when Josh was brought, invited to, to CLC to be CJ Mahaney's protege, uh, basically some people in the church knew he, who he was, some didn't. And so we got a little sort of background on him, um, during this whole period of fanfare, mm-hmm. uh, uh, bringing him to the church. Um, so Greg, uh, has been a pastor and I don't know if he was when Josh was a kid, but he has pastored. Um, he and his now late wife also did a lot of sort of teaching on parenting and marriage. Um, and, uh, Greg, you know, had sort of a, a national homeschooling tour <laughs> where he'd go around and tell people how to raise their kids and how to He was like a kids. keynote speaker yeah. at homeschool conventions yeah. for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And Josh sort of came up in that, in his shadow. The sense that I get is that, you know, Josh was really good with words and really charismatic from a very young age. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so was put forward by his, his father as a speaker, sort of a a face for, from a, from a kid's perspective, right? Right. Um, so it's not just like, we're not just telling you this as the adults, like, look, this kid is really happy and he knows this is right. So he, like, he's the oldest of seven kids and like, Kieran and I have talked a lot about like the pressures that you get as the firstborn. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I'm sure it's like, it's different when you're socialized as male, um, from the get, you have a different set of responsibilities, but like, there's still that pressure of like, proving to the outside world that you did it right. Like we've talked before Mm -hmm. a lot about how if we ever got asked on the spot, like at the grocery store, if we liked being homeschooled, we wouldn't have a choice but to say yes because our parents were there listening. Mm -hmm. And that was what was expected. So I I am assuming based on those experiences that we've had that Josh is, you know, performing these roles at the homeschool conventions as like the, the poster child probably right. had that same kind of pressure where like he was put on the spot and just because he was well spoken he didn't really have a, a, a choice but to you know say what his dad told him to. yeah well I think also a lot of um some of these stories come out of when kids have sort of natural aptitude for something in this case communication mm-hmm. yeah. in Josh's case and there's so few outlets for that in this tiny tiny world yes. where everything Everything except for stuff that's produced by people who are just like you is suspect. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, Josh started New Attitude magazine when he was what? 14? 16. 16. Okay. So he started he started a magazine when he was 16. It had a really impressive circulation, uh, like subscription base. Mm-hmm. He was writing articles. His, his parents were writing articles. Um, he was doing homeschool speech wrote, and debate, I think maybe his. Sorry? I know his. I know his brothers were like national the homeschool speech and debate 
they were national champions at, yeah. in various oh, yeah. levels of competition. I don't know if Josh was too, or if even that existed at that point, but like it was that kind of aptitude. Right. Right. So he was running a magazine and I mean, it was presented as though he was running the magazine, mm-hmm. um, at a very young age. And obviously Greg would have had his fingers in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was published from, like, heavily. out of the house, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Josh was writing. He was speaking. He was in front of, by that point, he was in front of audiences of hundreds by himself mm-hmm. without his father right be- behind him. Um, and I think someone who has the presence and communication skills that Josh had, this was sort of the natural outlet. Yeah, you're going to be, like, a pastor or a, a teacher just like your dad. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to apply these skills that you have to, you know, a very narrow set of potential careers. The other thing is that Greg Harris, and I don't know if he, I suspect he still does teach this. So he has this theology that men shouldn't be employed by anyone else. Like all men should. Oh, he's one of those guys. all, all, All men should be their own bosses. So the most Christian uh, and the you know best the best thing you can do as a Christian family patriarch is to own your own business. And for Greg Harris, his church and his speaking gigs and his children were his mm-hmm. business. Right. And so I I knew um, some people who grew up in that church, and and it was it was functionally a home church. It was not a big church. And I know that at some point there was a, a big conflict over power, and people who disagreed split off and it stayed really small and Greg really like circled the wagons pretty hard and didn't let a lot of new people in because of that. And I I think that was happening in like the early two thousands around the time when, when Josh was installed at CLC, Mm. but that was also like total side note. That's not really related to this, but I mean, I guess it is, but that was, um, the people who I know who grew up in that, um, at least one of them experienced um, molestation at the hands of one of the guys in the church. And at some point in 2013, Josh said something in an interview or in an article or sermon, I can't remember what, but he said something that in passing sounded like he had been molested as a kid. And people took off with that. Um, And I think within the context of what was going on at Covenant Life at that time with the, the you know, the pedophilia cover-up being exposed, like, this was something that, like, weighed on him heavily at that point in a really personal way. And I don't know if he's ever gotten to deal with it, but that's something that I think is important to keep in mind, that that's one of the big things that, like, is this pattern in his life, is, like, these churches imploding around protecting pedophiles and him just, like, being exposed to that again and again. So, So there's, like... You know, not it wasn't just the business, but like he was used in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Greg Greg Harris Greg Harris also married an Asian woman. So no. Japanese Japanese woman. And I don't know how much she brought her culture and identity into that family. I don't get the outside outsider's impression that they um, you know, are very invested in that, although I could be mm. wrong. But, like, there's also this layer of 
Josh is Asian American and white presenting and probably sees himself as white. Probably, you know, checks that Caucasian box when he fills out yeah, the Yeah, that forms. was a fun awakening. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, Kieran, you want to talk about that a little bit because that's, that's, that's a thing that you've got, been going through. That is a fun thing. Yeah. So I'm Middle Eastern and Portuguese, and I don't look white. And my family always, like, tried very hard to be white and told us to, like, check the Caucasian box on the census and, like, never spent any time talking about, like, our racial heritage or anything. I don't, I don't know what, like, Lebanese foods are that are, like, comfort foods or anything like that. I'm not connected at all to my ancestral culture. So, but suddenly after, after leaving and after moving to Maine where I was one of the like darker skinned humans and realized that I was finally able to start kind of contextualizing a lot of what I experienced as a child that like was people actually being racist but because I grew up thinking and acting and trying to be white that like I didn't have a context for so it just sort of like got cast aside and that's like that's a whole experience to go through that I I'm still like working on finding out where I fit and what is and how that all works. But that's kind of something if, if Josh hasn't dealt with that and if like that wasn't something that was ever part of like their culture growing up or, and it wasn't something that their mom ever talked about, that's going to be one of the things that they're going to wake up to and realize, Oh, I'm not white. And that means things and deal yeah. with that. So this was something that I always kind of had an ear out for um, when Josh was speaking or when I was reading his books because uh, for it might be obvious from my saying I'm Nigerian, I'm black. Um, so <laughs> I was never going to be and, be, and I'm a, I would say medium, medium dark uh, tone. So I'm, I'm black. Like there's, there's uh there's no uh, being able to uh, assimilate into whiteness visibly possible for me, even if I wanted to. And Sovereign Grace, obviously, is an extremely white denomination. Mm-hmm. CLC, I think it's it's become a, a little bit more diverse since I was well, also Montgomery uh, County, an active member there. Montgomery County has had a lot of, like, an influx of immigrants since like 2008 I guess so that's like an ongoing thing that yeah you know is going to be part of that in Montgomery County is where CLC is so like that's going to yeah. be like it's just the demographics of the area are changing too that that's true but even before then Montgomery County had one of the fastest growing Asian American populations mm-hmm. in the country and CLC did not reflect that yeah mm-hmm. so for example the high school that I went to when I started there in 1996, was already 25% Asian. Now, not all of Montgomery County was like that, but uh, there was a pr- there was a pretty significant Asian immigrant demographic that was not reflected mm-hmm. um, in the demographics of CLC. Um, I would say CLC was probably like 90% white uh, yeah. when I was active there. 
um, and uh, probably the largest uh, group of um, people of color in the church after that would, would be Asian, um, and very few black people, maybe a little, a, a few more uh, Latinx folks. Mm-hmm. All of that to say, like, I was very aware, both having immigrated to the U.S. from a country that's 99.9% black and suddenly landing in a place that was not quite that high a percentage white, but close. Mm-hmm. And, like, the intersections of just, like, race and gender and desirability um, and this thing that we still don't want to talk about in uh, the conservative American, white American church that interracial relationships are Mm. still kind of a taboo. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's changed quite a bit in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, But it's changed without anybody wanting to talk honestly about the fact that when, when we came to the U.S. in the 1990s, there were still people who were accepted as, like, you know, valid Christian teachers who were opposed to interracial marriage. This came up in George Bush's presidential campaign in I mean, 2000. And we've talked a lot oh, about yeah. this in terms of, like, Bob Jones. And right, exactly. <laughs> you know, the fact that a lot of these yeah. private Christian schools were a result of integration. Right. It right. was white And flight. Bob Jones, yeah. until 2003, I believe it was, had a policy banning interracial relationships. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. after they changed it, you still needed to get a permission slip from home. Well, to you mean you had to, do to date anyone, but yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Uh, so Were you guys, I, like, forgive me for my for not knowing this, were you and um, your ex, were you guys one of the first interracial couples to get married at CLC? I wouldn't say we were the, I mean, there were, there were interracial couples at CLC. But like to get married Um, at CLC. I don't know enough about who got married at CLC to like, what I can say is the vast majority of kids at CLC that I grew up with mm-hmm. were white kids who married other white kids. Well, and the reason I asked that, that was the norm. I remember my my ex saying at some point, oh, like, yeah, Tope was, like, the first black woman to get married to a white guy or something like that. Yeah. Um, at CLC in that building. Um, so I just didn't know if that was actually, if that was an accurate That is, you know... Your ex would know better the history of the church than I would because we joined, you know, like CLC already had a two plus decade history when we right, became and he had grown up there. Yeah, so I would say that he's probably onto something, if not one of the, if not the first, then maybe one of the few. I did not know that, but I don't have trouble believing that either. Mm-hmm. To TLDR, like because. I was a black girl and a, you know, a public school student and someone who was really interested in academics and awkward and just didn't fit in at CLC <laughs> at all. I, I was very like hyper aware of not like feeling undesirable and feeling like, you know, white boys are not interested in me because I am black mm. and not even like 
not like I'm just not even on their radar as a possibility because I'm black. Right. So it's not a rejection. It's just that you were never a candidate to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being aware of the fact that there were still people in or close to the conservative Christian mainstream who were either opposed to or extremely circumspect about interracial marriage. Um, when Josh started writing about this stuff, I paid really close attention to the stuff that he said about race. Mm-hmm. And I remember something that really disappointed me about Boy Meets Girl. He talked about a couple that he knew where I think the husband was black mm-hmm. and the wife was white. And, you know, I it's been so long since I've read the book that I, I can't pull up the wording up like I used to be able to but essentially what he was saying was that you know it's it's nice that they're married and like they they've you know they are they've sought God's will for their relationship but they have trouble because people treat them differently because they're a black man and a white woman together and that's something that you need to think about when you get married or when you are thinking about marriage with someone about sort of basically he was saying you need to think about the social consequences. Mm. Was this right? like in the of same being in an in- breath? Which like- I thought was really, and uh, I'll just uh, stop here. I thought was really kind of reflective of how he must have thought of himself at the time uh-huh. because his parents are in it, were in an interracial marriage. Yeah. Mm, and that he yeah. specifically used a black and white couple as his example and did not seem to think that his parents fit in that same he didn't seem to um, register it framework also spoke to a like particular like christian opposition to interracial relationship is is particularly anti-black it's not equally opposed to all Mm -hmm. interracial relationships yeah yeah so these are these are things like i look kind of hold in my hand when I think about him. Like, I think there's also a whole layer that we should talk about in terms of, like, how growing up in a cult and having your life dictated to you really um, limits your ability to make good choices for yourself. Yeah. And how hard it is to walk away from that when you... Like I, I I call it um, from Peace Corps we call it called it the the gold the fishbowl, like mm. the fishbowl. It's your entire world. Yeah, you yeah. you get you cannot do anything without people talking about what you're doing. You cannot do anything without people watching you and commenting on it. And and so as like pastors' kids and missionary kids like talk about this a lot in terms of their experiences growing up. Like there's this like high pressure to perform. And to like yeah. get it right and to always behave, and and so a lot of times like there, I mean, there's all these like casual jokes about like yeah, pastors' kids are like the ones that like are like the most kinky in college. Like they're the ones that are acting out because they never got a chance to before, right? Which is you know a bad base for humor, but like is a has some truth to it. Um, and, and there's like this pressure to like behave so well that like you feel like you're making up for lost experiences later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like Kieran and I talk about this a lot in terms of like, yeah, like, you know, like things we did when we first got out that we were like, you know, craving these experiences we've been, you know, held back from. Mm. Um, and as far as I know, until Josh left CLC, like what was it? 2015. 
It's like four yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like uh, 2015, 2016. Yeah. So when Josh left CLC and stopped being senior pastor and stepped down and moved to Vancouver, like I don't think he'd ever gotten a chance to mm-hmm. do any of those things. I mean, so let's like I think a timeline. Yeah, let's of do a little timeline. Josh's here. adult life would would help put this in in some some context. So. You know, he he grew up in Oregon and went to this, uh, you know, attended a church that his dad was a pastor of, and it sounds like was a small, um, really insular church. Mm-hmm. Um, he moves across the country to Maryland at 21 to live in C.J. Mahaney's basement. <laughs> right. I forgot it was the right. basement. Because that's what they always <laughs> did. Right. It, and because it was like a way... you're supposed to have parental authority over you. So right. CJ was his right. CJ and Carolyn were in, in loco parentis for him, right? Yeah. So God, I forgot he left that home, <laughs> but he didn't leave home. You know, right. he yeah. went to live in somebody else's house, and he yeah. didn't leave until I think when he got married. If I'm until not... they got, and I think they, I think somebody who knows the history a little, I think they might have lived with with CJ and Carolyn for a little bit before. Uh, they moved out. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because there's always like uh, we've talked about like the the anti debt teachings a lot. Yeah, and right. And yeah. So like there's that that sense of like, you know, you need to save money, and so it's a, like a really common thing in that community. And like for anyone who's not familiar with the community that CLC is in or Montgomery County, like the area of Montgomery County it's in is like all of these like huge McMansions. So like living in your parents' basement is not necessarily a huge hardship because it's like <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a whole apartment, <laughs> and a lot of these places had a lot of space. Like, um, and so that was a really common thing for like young couples to rent a basement apartment from someone in the church, um, yeah. or if like the pastors' college. We've talked about that before. Like when someone came from out of town to do that year-long training thing, they would like right. rent a basement from someone. That kind of thing. So like it's not that uncommon. Right, and this is something that goes back in the history of the church. It kind of continued even after they stopped explicitly teaching this, but this idea of having, like, that every everyone needs to have a spiritual, like, mentor or authority over them. Right, this is so, their inheritance from the this shepherding movement, which Carolyn Right, exactly. The shepherd, so, like, earlier in the history of the church, they were teaching explicitly that single people should not live by themselves. They should live with married couples in the church. Because and be under their authority. Head. And those would be people involved in your relationships. And so this obviously these are older singles who have some independence. So that explicit shepherding teaching had kind of got, mostly gone away by the mid-90s. But what replaced it was the idea that you pursue courtship really young at an mm. age before you're ever capable of establishing any kind of independence from your parents. So, so sort of by necessity, your parents and your church are heavily involved in it if mm-hmm. they're also part of that movement. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the things that happened with Shannon, this is his now ex, um, was she grew up in a, in a, like a normal, relatively normal Christian family. <laughs> um, mainstream, if you will. Um, yeah. And when she joined CLC, something traumatic in her life had happened. And so she was like looking for something more intense, more different. And if I'm not mistaken, the way I remember being told about it is like she was living with a couple in the church as well. Yeah. And so it was. And she was a secretary at CLC. Right. So she didn't. She also did not have any privacy. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. So Josh, Josh came when he was 21. By the time he was 23, he was married to Shannon. Mm-hmm. I think it only took six months because, um, because courtship by, should be that fast. Like, <laughs> because courtship is not supposed to take much longer than that. Right. right. My father um, used to I say think they were courting courtship... for like three months and then they were engaged and then three months later they were married. Right. And that's right. the reason they do that is like, and this is my dad's line is like, courtship should take as long as it requires for you to figure out that this is the person you want to marry and then the engagement should be as long as it takes to plan the wedding yeah so he grew up in this incredibly insular church went and became a member of another insular church while living in the senior pastor's basement um never left that basement until he got married and i think actually a little bit after he got married so so he and his wife were actually living in that home i'm pretty sure that's true yeah um, and he was only 23 at that point. And then almost immediately had kids. Yeah. Um, there's no space to think about what your life is. supposed, And that whole time was being groomed to take over CLC. Right. And he yeah. never got to go to college. Like he never, he got, never went to college. He never got this, like this. He never formative, went to school. Yeah. He, actually. Ever. Until he went to Vancouver. Until he was like 36. Six thirty-seven. Something. That's crazy. So he he really never got a shot. He never got properly socialized. It was cult after cult after cult after like a small family circle, small family circle after small family yeah. circle. Yeah. I mean, even other folks who grew up deep in this movement, like went to college he did not and even people yeah. who grew up deep in this movement like if i'm even thinking, his brothers went to college i mean it was patrick and Hill. law school but, <laughs> but like, even even the other people who grew up in this movement and went to college a lot of them are still like really really tight with their families in ways that are right. is like a little bit unusual because this church was so intensely that way right um right there's not a well, lot of they didn't believe thinking. in sending kids far for college right ideally you'd stay close to home Really, ideally, you'd still live at home, mm-hmm. right. on the, you know, and just commute to your school. So then he, he gets groomed to be the lead, you know, pastor of this college, <laughs> of this church. Um, and and all of this time, while he's being groomed for this, you know, his books are taking off. He's doing his thing at CLC. He is running the New Attitude Conference, and that's, like, kind of his baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And then CJ's like, I want to retire. Mm. I'm passing the baton. And it, I think it was after CJ stepped down was when everything blew up. It was a yeah. few years after. It was a few years after CJ stepped down. So I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to look up the timeline again because I get confused about. I think it was 2004 that the church was handed if over. You, if, if, if anyone is look at, is, if anyone wants the detailed history of this, you can go to brentdatweiler.com and see <laughs> all of the notes. <laughs> the man has the receipts. Don't do it. Run away. <laughs> Run away while you still can. But like, there was this guy who was, um, you know, a, a, a little bit obsessive um, who was also a pastor in the church, one of the elders in the movement, if you will. And he um, decided to take CJ to task for like not following his own teachings to the T, basically, and wrote thousands and thousands of pages documenting the history of all of their interactions and all the times he was calling him on the carpet for various infractions of his own teaching. Oh, my God. And the thing is that Josh is like almost absent from them. <laughs> Like, Josh does yeah. not see, and, like, no. I'm talking about this because I read them when they all came out. Yeah. 
Um, mm. You know, my poor boss at, at the, whatever job I had at that point, like I was useless that day. I'm so sorry. Um, but like when those documents came out, it was a big deal. And it revealed a whole lot of history where like CJ knew about stuff that he said he didn't and like was hiding it and hiding it and hiding it and protecting abusers. And Josh is not an active player. And his his pot smoking son. And his pot smoking son. <laughs> and and Josh is just not an active player at all. No. In no. any of those documents. Every, I mean, so, you know, little things that you remember in retrospect that were weird, like uh, CJ and Carolyn always sat in the front row. Mm-hmm at church even on days that cj wasn't preaching mm-hmm. um and that was true even after cj had stepped down mm-hmm. as senior pastor so i just rechecked josh was 30 when he became senior pastor God. of clc and for context this was a church that <laughs> at that point was 3,000, 3,500 yeah, members? Yeah, 3,500 members Whoa. with two and, yeah. a, right. two and a half services, so we had like an evening small yeah. service. Right. He has no real training. He's only gone to this pastor's college while he was that started the year that he came to CLC at, while he was living out of CJ's basement. Um, <laughs> so he has no qualifications whatsoever. I'm, like, other than I'm sitting here, charisma. I'm 30. I'm thinking like, what, like being in charge of that. Right. No. With a, with a multi-million dollar budget. Oh like, yeah, lots of money. Lots of money. Lots of money. Lots of money. Like, it's crazy. He's he's teaching people about courting and marriage before when he's 21. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. literally has only ever kissed girls and feels intensely guilty about it. Um, <laughs> that was dating. That was and all he then did. Is, that was dating. Yeah. That's the whole story, And guys. is leading leading a church of... 3,000 plus people at 30 that goes through and like like a ridiculous upheaval. I think everything started to fall apart in like 2012. So I Um, got married in 2011 and and I think the documents started coming out that fall in like October. So like I knew the year before I got married was when the pastors at my church in Richmond got exposed for some shit and like the congregation split. So there had been some rumblings of this happening. And a couple years before that, before CJ stepped down, I believe in 2006 was when they brought in a whole thing where you, in order to stay a member of the church, you had to sign like um, an agreement saying that you wouldn't sue the church if something happened mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. and that if you had a conflict with another um, member of the church, you would go through the church's chosen mediation yeah. system rather than through the courts, which was because that was when some of the, the sexual abuse was starting to come to light and they were hiding it. And my father, like at that point, like one of the few th- good things he, he did was like, he was like, this is bullshit. We're not doing this. And so we stopped being members at that point, but still kept attending. And then I went to college and came back, and it was 2009 when Kingsway blew up. This is the church in Richmond because of stuff that they'd been hiding for a long time. And so all this was like kind of the pressure was building during all this time. And then 2000, yeah. fall of 2011, early 2012 was when it really hit the fan. Yeah, yeah. And so... He takes over this church with this history. CJ is still really in charge because, remember... He's back leading. Up until all this stuff blew up, he was the senior pastor that everybody had known for 
two decades, mm-hmm. and he's the leader of Sovereign Grace Ministries, mm-hmm. which is run out of, at the time, out of CLC's building. Mm-hmm. So he's still running the show, right? Uh, so then that all blows up. Everybody is going to Josh. Everybody wants to talk to Josh. Everyone wants his ear. I remember my mother-in-law was, like, sending him, like, five-page emails at two in the morning about how he should save various things from the pulpit. Like, Oh, my God. Wow. Can you, like, a congregation of, like, 3,000 people demanding his attention on how to fix this problem, like, right now. So, it, the process took, like, two years, and by the process, I mean, like, their, like, internal investigation stuff. Um... And I was living in Gaithersburg at that time. So I was shopping at the same giant, <laughs> the same grocery store that, he, that Josh was at. Um, and I, I remember seeing him, like, wandering through the grocery store at, like, midnight or 11 p- p.m. And just, like, watching this man look, like, ten times older than he actually was. And watching him, like, just, like, look, like, bleary-eyed. Like, it was like he had just come off of a really bad trip and didn't know where he was. Aww. Like, that was how he looked for like those three years. And this is a church that doesn't believe in therapy. This is a church that doesn't believe that mental health issues are real up until around the end of all of this, where people were starting to talk about it. So this guy's not getting any real support. This guy is like in the hot seat. CJ is like skipped town to go to Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CJ is like, Peace, motherfucker. I'm going to go have a good time with my retirement cash. I have no idea what the finances of CLC were like at that point, but like they were they were losing people really fast. And I am sure CJ took a lot of money and dipped out. And I don't know what that building's mortgage was or if it was paid off. But like, I can't imagine that those were easy conversations. Like there's just, it's, it, he goes from whiz kid to poster child Mm-hmm. to, like, accessory and protege to suddenly being in the hot seat for all of with this. no training. With no training and no understanding and no, like, no real knowledge. As far as I know, he didn't yeah. really know what was going on and all the stuff that CJ was covering up. Well, I mean, some of it went back decades. Like, some of it went back... 30 years, yeah. When Josh was a child. Yeah. Like, so, you know, unless, and this is not, like, it's not a Catholic church where they keep records like Mm -hmm. that. So it's all, like, institutional memory that resides in people, Mm -hmm. some of whom were no longer there. Mm -hmm. Many of Um, whom were no longer there. Sorry? Many of whom were no longer there. Right, right. And then on top of that, like, it's not, Josh doesn't only have responsibilities to CLC. Like, he's also this, like, prominent evangelical leader nationally, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So all of this is happening under the eye of, <laughs> like, <laughs> of Christians around the country. Right. So when all you this know, is and, happening, like, people are 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 calling him to the floor, holding him responsible. People are like CJ is being invited to conferences. He's being uninvited to conferences. Like 
magazines are doing interviews and exposés and the Washington Washingtonian did a whole big piece on it that like took a couple years like this is national news Mm -hmm. so tell me when this guy is supposed to figure out like gender nuance and like intersectional politics and feminism and and like yeah recovering from PTSD and all uh, just when is he and gonna understanding have understanding what his childhood was and understanding all. his impact yeah. like the guy didn't stand a chance no i mean and josh i think was sort of you know the prototype for built like a particular kind of child rearing mm-hmm. where yep you build a world that is so sheltered and so tightly uh run right mm-hmm. that a kid has the absolute minimal opportunities and ideally zero opportunities to ever think outside of that framework or to have any experiences outside their framework. The church supplies everything that they need. They don't go, they don't interact with anybody who doesn't believe even the specific kind of evangelical Christianity that they subscribe to. Mm -hmm. Right. Like um, that's their entire world. The, The materials that they use are for teaching their kids are, published by other Christians just like them. Um, and I actually worked at one of these, uh, one of those uh, publishing companies, for lack of a better phrase, for a few uh-huh. summers. And, you know, you, th- like, they were really, really pushing hard, like, early marriage at this point um, in, in CLC's history. So you you rush people into marriage. And, and-, and, and, and not to mention, like... I don't know what his parents particularly subscribe to in terms of like the kind of spanking teaching that was yeah. popular, mm-hmm. but like some of those methods were like basically dog rearing, like break the will of yeah. your child early and often, and they will not depart from the way of God. Yeah. So well, they were, they were certainly still being taught at CLC yeah. when Josh was senior pastor, which he could not have been unaware of, and like I th- also think it's interesting. What he it's it was like a throwaway thing, but one of the things he said in his recent statements was about feeling apologetic towards his children. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure some of that was reflected in how he raised his own kids. But yeah. you know, see the Sovereign Grace and other churches like it were uh, or groups like it were really pushing this early marriage thing at that time. Um, and I still don't quite know how exactly they did, because nobody ever said using birth control is wrong. Right. Um, and you know, they would have said, Oh, that's what makes us different from the Catholics or whatever. Um, but there is this like, eventually there is this creep of, um, Catholic like theology of the body into evangelical well, that came, that churches came from Mary at the Pride, time. And her book came out in eighty six, and so Josh was probably born at that point. But Who? Um, Mary Pride was the so the quiver. I, yeah, so she she was the one who like really kicked that off. And her book, The Way Home, came out in nineteen eighty six and was really popular, especially on the West Coast with homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it took a while for that to make it out to the East Coast and catch up. Yeah. But, like, my mom got exposed to it right when it came out. Um, yeah. And so I can I can imagine that that was, that was you know, at the sh- on the shelf at home in Josh's house. 
I mean, the churches, I think conservative American Christianity just lends itself or that culture leans towards larger families than average, just in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so even though the families that we encountered at CLC were bigger than like, (laughs) I, I was really surprised when we first joined CLC by some of the large families that we saw. I mean, we thought of ourselves as like, a decent sized family. I have two siblings, but we were a small family <laughs> by what we well, could and tell. I do remember uh, like hearing people comment like uh, Josh and Shannon only had two kids or three kids, three kids. Three kids and yeah. like that was like kind of seen That's as barely. aberrant. Yeah. And like, yeah. Oh, they must That's be, a choice. Clearly. They must, they must be using <laughs> birth control. That's just more than two. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But the part I remember being really confused about when I was in high school and college was not just like, People getting married early, like, I kind of understood that, like, from what we were being taught and, like, the value of marriage and blah, blah, blah. But people would literally have babies within a year of getting married. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking my mom, like, does CLC not believe in birth control? And if they don't, why don't they say so? Like, is this, there is this, like, unspoken. Yeah. You know, it's not just you get married young. You also start having babies right away. So if you're 21 or 22 and you already have an infant, when do you have time to reconsider, like, well, maybe this, this, like, framework that I was raised with is a little faulty. Like, you don't have time. Who who grew up um, in my my community in Richmond who is uh, three years older than I am. And she's got five or six kids now, and she is just now having the, oh, spanking might be bad for my kids conversation Mm. with herself. Like, she is just now starting down that path of figuring it out. And, like, that's a pretty classic example of, like, how long it takes for you to have that brain space to actually think about it. So, like, probably around that time when he probably was able to start thinking about things was when CLC blew up. Yeah. So he really just hasn't had a chance. And I think that's what I want to emphasize in terms of, like, why I don't want to participate in, like, schadenfreude. Like, it sucks. It all really sucks. Coming out of this sucks. It's hard work. Unpacking these things is hard work. Divorce is complicated. And with kids, it's really shitty and, like, even more complicated. And when your family doesn't support you, it's another layer of, of like, just personal trauma yeah and so like yes he had massive impact and it was really shitty but also oh god this kid was like he is the poster child in so many ways still Hmm. yeah and he is suffering just as much as we have and i don't really have any ill wishes toward him further because i think he's like gone through it that's enough i feel like that is enough what he's going through right now he's gonna get he's already gotten it like just like just watching him in the grocery store that you know those couple times i ran into him i was just like yeah this i don't like before that i think i had some sort of like still like livid like i want to like yell at you at some point about this but like when i saw that i was just like oh god there's no way he's already he's already done it like it's already happened to him (laughs) yeah i think what i'd add to that is it's not just that he never had time to or space to really 
think outside of how he was raised. It's that how he was raised raised was deliberately designed to be that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Right. Like that was the whole purpose. You raise your kids in such a way that they have minimal exposure to the temptations of the world. Um, and specifically like, you push them into making these huge life decisions that are irreversible and very di- like you can't mm-hmm. you, you can't never you can't not be married you know what i mean like you you've always even if you get divorced that marriage has right. happened right it's, it's and so then if you have kids out of, you, yeah right and then if you have kids you definitely like can't untangle that knot like so I think it was a very deliberate strategy to push and you have to look at it alongside this push for early marriage, this push for early parenthood, mm-hmm. um, this push for folks to live with other like older married couples in the church, this push to keep your kids close to home or in the home if they are going to college, if they go to college yeah. at all, mm-hmm. which many did not, especially if they were girls. Yeah. Um, and so you just rush them into having a whole life that they have to juggle and think about as soon as possible yeah. so that they never have time to reflect on what it is that they're being taught. And they consider this to be godly parenting to keep <laughs> kids in the faith, yep, right? right? Yep. Like I was told when, uh, because, you know, I was I was dating, courting, whatever you want to call it, against, my, I guess dating, against my parents' wish, wishes, I remember Robin Boisvert telling me, this is why we... we oh, one of the pastors at CLC. <laughs> yes, sorry. I remember one of the pastors at, uh, at CLC telling me, this is why we don't encourage parents to send their kids away to college, especially girls. I was a, oh. a total four and a half hours away from Well, I mean, we, I've talked about this before in here, but like when I... Uh, we, we had to announce to the church because they had all the high school seniors come up and tell what they were doing next. When yes. I had to tell people, oh, I'm going to Grove City College, which is right. an absurdly conservative school, but it was a full eight-hour drive away yeah. from where I was mm-hmm. in, in, in Virginia. And there, the closest Sovereign Grace Church was an hour away. And so people were like, are th- where are you going to go to church? Yeah, where are you going <laughs> to church? Are, are you going to be going to this SGM church? And are like, and like, not only those questions, but the more pointed ones were like, do you hate your parents? Are things okay at home? Are you trying to get rid of <laughs> oh them? My God. Like, and I was just like, I was so baffled at that point. I was, I was perfectly happy with my family. I had, you know, like I want a little bit more freedom, but like, that's about it. I didn't know anything was wrong. And so to, to be told like, oh, are you trying to escape your family was like insulting to me at that point. Cause I wasn't. I just wanted right. to go to like a good school that was going to pay my bills. Like I got, <laughs> I got pretty good scholarships there. I just wanted to go there and you know not go to school at home. Like, which was my other option was to go to the state school and live at home. And I was didn't want to do that. So, yeah. But yeah, that was the mindset is just like you know constantly put yourself under the accountability, the shepherding, the spiritual guidance mm-hmm. of other people who are true believers in this cult movement. So that you don't have the chance to, you know, question it. Right. And that, that I think, is what happened with Shannon. Because she didn't grow up this way, right? So she came in and then came under the shepherding of Carolyn Mahaney and all these other women Mm -hmm. in the church. But Josh grew up in that. Mm -hmm. So, like, Mm -hmm. he was, he never, he'd never seen anything outside of that. And that was deliberate, right? Yeah. Um, So, the other thing I, like, 
it, it kind of frustrates me how people talk about I Kissed Eating Goodbye as if it was just like this pure brainchild of Joshua Harris. Oh, God, when, no. He, no, of course it's not. He was 21. No. What did he know? He, like, he's a really good communicator. He, he was regurgitating almost word for word the formulas that Bill Gothard was putting forth. Like, I've looked at those materials. I remember yep. being shocked at them and being like, oh, yeah, this is, this is, this is I Kissed Eating Goodbye. But in like really, you know, crappy Bill Gothard language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was the repackaged deal. And then Greg Harris just wanted money. Yeah. yeah. I mean the the long and short of it is that he was a good writer and a handsome face for them to put mm-hmm. on these teachings because they were yeah. never his teachings to begin with. Right. And they were someone else's. And he's charming. He's so charming. Like if you've talked to him yes. in person, he's really sweet. He's affable he is easy to talk to he's funny like and he's he's a really entertaining speaker if you want to like if you doubt me go listen to one of his new attitude sermons like he's really he's a great speaker and and it's so it's so easy to just get like to enjoy that experience and think that you are enjoying what he's saying and the the ideas he's parenting because he's not they're not his ideas and I right. think holding holding the people who put him in those positions accountable is like where the anger should go. Like I, I think yes. there's some there's some amount of like yes, like he probably needs to be you know held accountable. But like on the other hand, like let's just like let me do my like MFA writer moment here. You don't make money from books. <laughs> Like, like everybody's like, oh my god, he just raked in the cash in like a million dollars. Like he might have made some money off of CLC. I yeah. highly doubt he made very much money off of those books. He probably got a pretty high advance, which would have been like what fifty grand, <laughs> seventy grand, and then he probably got you know like royalty checks from it. But his dad probably like had some sort of cut of them because. You know, that's how they worked. And he, yeah. I'm, I guarantee you, this man did not have an, a good agent navigating that process for him. He didn't, he got, probably got really screwed over in that deal too. So like, I really would, you know, if anybody's like, oh yeah, but just like, look how much money he made. Like, you don't know that. You yeah. don't know. Like, I think- your favorite writer has a day job because they're yeah. not making money off of their books. Do you think in the niche Christian market, they are making money <laughs> off of these books? Hell no. Hell no. I think no. actually B- CLC is probably more of a mon- money-making uh, yeah. prospect for him because pastors have so many um, financial ob- like obligations that they are excused from right. because they are pastors. Right, and I think that like CLC probably had some I – mean, we, we've talked about this a little bit and Brenda Wheeler talked about it a little bit. Like they had a financial – investment in some real estate for like houses yeah. for the pastors college so i don't know whose name that was in or like where the taxes were or like how much of that money T- cj took when he left and how much yeah. debt josh was trying to pay off or like what the church situation was in terms of that building that huge ass building like i don't know what the money looked like but i don't think that josh walked away with much that's yeah. just my gut sense of it i could be wrong but like i don't think so I, I mean, I've always thought that, well, not always, but uh, when I was old enough and skeptical enough to start thinking mm-hmm. about it, that the pastorate at CLC is a big racket. So I actually would not be surprised if he had some stuff 
saved yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, there was a there was a high point there for sure. Yeah. But it wasn't from the yeah. books. <laughs> yeah. Because all of the pastors at that church lived in very nice homes. Everyone in that area lived in very nice homes and we're tithing 10%. <laughs> yes. But it's a bit like pastors versus doctors and lawyers. Yeah. Like when you're living in the same kind of home that... Yeah. A doctor or a lawyer. Well, that's what is, I mean. Is like, like you, it raised, you have like it raised questions for me. and doctors and lawyers who are going to your church and tithing ten percent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're making money. Exactly. Um, yeah, and you're not being taxed on it the way other people are. Pastors get tax breaks that other people don't. Like, you can accumulate. Right, and this is where I'm happy to like level criticism at him, like in terms of financial stuff. But like when people are saying, "Oh, look how much money he made off the books," I'm just kind of like. No. <laughs> no. It's not books. That's not how it works. No. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, so and I think like what you were saying earlier, Eve, the where the rage should be directed. You know, I I can understand anger at Josh. And I think part of it is because he was put on this pedestal. It was always like, mm-hmm. Josh says this, Josh says so like it it it's understandable that when people are looking for you know, how things went wrong. Well, Josh was like, he was the face of all of that. But how does it make sense to be more angry at the 21-year-old who put a pleasant face on these ideas than on the men whose ideas that they they actually were, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. were in their 40s and 50s and damn well old enough to know that a 21-year-old should not be advising any fucking buddy (laughs) on relationships, (gasps) on relationships, marriage, or life in any way, shape, or form. Right. Like, that, that is, that is so yeah, spiritual malpractice is basically (laughs) what they did. Exactly. So yeah, when when people get angry at him, I'm just like, oh come on, please, like this is old. Like, be angry at Greg, be angry at CJ, be angry at Bill Gothard, be angry at the entire fucking system, be angry at Greg Fer- at Mike Ferris, but like, really, like Josh, <laughs> just let the co- poor guy go live a normal life. For yeah. he, he's earned it. Let's give him like some space. And he's to walked his away, shit out which which first. people don't always do. Right, and that's right. the other thing is like. That's the he thing. he went to a tiny little post on Instagram. He could have done a like a big expose. He could have tried to make money off of it. He could have like gone and given an exclusive story to someone. Like he didn't. He's trying on purpose to downplay this as much as possible. He is not going for the limelight again. Like everybody seems to think he is trying to walk away from it as much as possible and he's like throwing up some walls while he's doing it, being like, hey, I don't believe these things anymore. You can't hold me to it. Like, (laughs) I don't have a marriage anymore. Guess it doesn't work. Like, uh, peace, guys. (laughs) At least that's my, that's my perception. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, I mean, there's just not really any way for him to win. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the hard thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, if he had been raised in some other family in a more mainstream American white, you know, middle class mm-hmm. white American family, he would probably still have become some speak kind kind of speaker, communicator, mm-hmm. message message person mm-hmm. as his career because he's just really good at it and really 
he's you you want to believe him mm-hmm. like he he he's he was a, he was the pleasant face for this message and he's he's he clearly had a gift from it for it from early on mm-hmm. so i also wonder how much of what people are pushing back on is there's this kind of unspoken way you could have just not said anything you could have just disappeared but i don't he's not that kind of person like yeah. his whole job his whole life has been communication Mm -hmm. and that's also how he left and i even if he didn't try to make money off of it i think he would have still made some kind of message out of it because that's what he does yeah right that's still what he's doing as a job now like he's doing advertising like help me tell your story let me help you tell your story blah blah he's good at it he's legitimately good at it Yeah. yeah yeah so i think it's it's a bit I think people are mixing up sort of his personality and his natural inclinations mm-hmm. with a desire for the spotlight, which I really don't think he wants. Right I now. don't. I really don't think he has any interest in it. I think. I think that it, that those years of CLC burn him out on it. Yeah. Like yeah. I can't imagine him coming back. I mean, I don't know. He maybe will, but yeah. like, I doubt it. I also I rechecked. Uh, so he was forty-one when he started seminary. It's <laughs> so Whoa. yeah, like. Poor guy. <laughs> wow. Poor guy. Forty one yeah. with three with three kids. Like after yeah. being senior pastor at thirty. Like he yeah. has not had a life outside of this world. I I mean, that's not even getting into into Shannon. Yeah, which is <laughs> a whole like, other story and we're gonna leave her alone. Woo. Woo. <laughs> but like I I think he knows that he is good at storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. He knows that he has like these talents. What looking back and realizing I didn't get to start on anything of my own initiative until I was 41. Like, I feel really resentful about the time I wasted and I left when I was, like, or I, like, moved away completely before I was 30. Yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't get to do it until you were 41, like, it's not old, but that's a lot of time. Right. Yeah. And that, like is a feeling to go through. That's a really yeah. heavy That grief loss. is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. You can never get that time back. Mm-hmm. That's just, you can make the best of the time going forward, but that time is gone. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think this probably covers as much as we, you know, know how to talk about and have information to talk about. Um, anybody got anything else to add before we wrap up? I guess, um, I guess just the disclaimer is that none of this is to say that Josh had no, like, agency Mm -hmm. and bears no responsibility for what he taught, but more that let's recognize that he was in a really, in a position where it was really difficult to do anything other than what he did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, like, we haven't even gotten into the teachings about male authority and (laughs) (laughs) like how that might have gassed him up in a particular way yeah you know Mm -hmm. like that kind of power is also not easy to walk away from yeah you know and we're just like you're the man like literally you're the man (laughs) like um no one can tell you no yeah yeah and just because well yeah like this is like here again kieran and i talk about this a lot like 
it's hard to walk away from this system unless you've been hurt by it. Yeah. Mm. It's hard to walk away unless, like, you see, you know, a glitch in the matrix where you right. don't get what you're promised. Um, and, or where you feel like something's not fair in some way. And, and for a straight, white passing dude, it's going to take a long time before you see the system hurt someone who you care about enough to like have empathy for. (laughs) Like, um, so, you know, while various ones of us may have gotten out sooner because it hurt us earlier, like, you know, there there might have been nothing going wrong that he was aware of to tip him off mm-hmm. that there was something fucked up about this whole system until quite late. Yeah. 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 Or if you if you never fit in the system to begin with. I mean, yeah. we've talked about right. if you were a woman or, you know, perceived as one and had any interests outside of... Yeah. you know domestic mm-hmm. arts and childbearing and rearing like you just there was not a place for you in sovereign grace ministries yeah. so like i always I, when you said um people ask like where are you going to go to church blah, blah, blah. i remember people asking me that um before i went to college mm-hmm. and the assumption of course was you know like is there a sovereign grace ministries church down there you're not you know you're not going to go to some other church and i already knew like two years into our time at clc that once i graduated high school i had no intentions of being a member there not because i was not i was still conservative and all that but they just did not know how to deal with girls who were interested in using their brains. Yep. And see, this is why I went to Grove City rather than, like, trying to stay around or do something because at least I knew I would get some sort of academically challenging experience there. Even I was still super conservative, but I was yeah. so academically hungry in, in ways that, like, no one I knew was. And so mm-hmm. I just yeah. I had to get out. Right. But like you're saying, if the system seems to work for you... There's no reason to leave. And in fact, you lose, as we're seeing with Josh now, you lose a ton if you leave. Right. Because they, I mean, this is why I call Sovereign Grace a cult, like, because they do that shunning and ostracizing thing with you as soon as you leave. I, you know, that like frowny face or sad face that Greg Harris posts on on his Instagram post. Oh, like, yes. I wonder, I wonder if Josh is father has just been like cool you don't have a relationship with me anymore like I don't know that I know that family's really tight-knit and I know all of these families handle it differently but like the more extreme ones really do get that absolute yeah it's a very serious concern especially when you get divorced like uh, because you're not supposed to do that and to like the double whammy of divorce and deconversion like there's not a lot to come back from. What do you guys have yeah. in common any, with anymore? And so you yeah. stop getting treated like family. And even if that people try to maintain that relationship, you don't have anything really to talk about. Difficult it's so to communicate. Hard. You're speaking yeah. completely different languages. Yeah. Yep. Like it's yep. so frustrating for everybody, you know, because you can't you can't communicate. That code switching thing is so is so serious. It's so hard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to like 
Yeah, that's good. You know, emphasize that it's not saying that Josh, like, had no, has no responsibility for all the stuff that he's taught. Right. Or, he, and, like, he, all the harm that it did. But it's part of a bigger picture in mm-hmm. which Josh was also um, run through the system, you know? Yeah. It's pretty rough. It is. Well, Tope, where can people find you if they want to follow you or, like, read your writing? Um, I am mostly on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Grace, as in Sovereign Grace. <laughs> it, Grace is human. All, no underscores. Uh, Grace is human. Um, and yes, the Grace that I picked as my pseudonym when I started writing was, in fact, from Sovereign Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and because... <laughs> I really didn't think that there was much grace at that place. Um, so it's kind of funny that, you know, now almost 10 years later, it's still, <laughs> it's still, still right. my handle. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's where I am. I had a website that I let lapse, but I'm hoping to get back up in the not too distant future. But most of my opinionating on whether on church or just on like K-pop and TV mm-hmm. uh, is on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming Thank out of retirement to join us for this. It's yeah. really, <laughs> um, really good to have you on. Yeah. This was, this, it was good to hash out. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. And, you know, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be something that people are going to be talking about. Like, I know, like I, like, I wrote a little piece about this and editors were like, this is too niche. Like, we can't take it. And yeah. I'm like, yes, it is. But, like, it's going to have this ripple effect. And it's going to yeah. have repercussions mm-hmm. in these families and in these conversations. Like, someone said yeah. to me the other day, like, Shannon Harris just broke the glass ceiling for a generation mm. of evangelical women. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, the fact that, you know, you can you can do that and go out on the other side and have a life. Like, yeah, there's 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 a hope that's offered there. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm also really interested in what this musical that she's writing. I know, right? Is gonna turn out how it's gonna turn out. It's supposed to be about uh, fundamentalist robots, religious <laughs> robots. <laughs> oh my! So like my the first, and we should wrap up but this is my short tale the first short story that i wrote when i was coming out because that was how i started processing stuff was about this like person who lived on this alien world called pura because everything was pure because <laughs> culture is bullshit <laughs> and um there were these creatures who were red-blooded and there were these creatures who were blue-blooded and the blue-blooded people had no empathy at all and they were just very stoic and robotic and fundamentalist and I like somehow like the character just like had so much red blood and like did not understand why no one had empathy at all and that was that was how I started processing my shit Mm. was like I wrote that story that reminds me a lot of robots because mine were just like non-emotional beings or non-empathetic beings Mm -hmm. but that's a thing. That's a thing. So I'm really interested to see this. Right. And and this. I know a lot of people have made made some hay out of her her post on her Instagram about, you know, poems she's written about living in someone else's dream and yeah. like that person being abusive and like Yeah. She made comments like that it wasn't about Josh. Like she's yeah. talking about no, CJ. I think it's fairly clearly about CJ and Greg. 
<laughs> like if it's about fucking loot, we there's no yeah. doubt. Like that's that's directly directly at those patriarchs. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because Josh wasn't any. I mean, I'm sure that she has things to say about her marriage and how gender roles. But he wasn't that. very but authoritative. Josh was also under somebody else's thumb. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. He was not the ultimate boss. No, he was not. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really, really good. Um, Karen, you want to close us out? Yeah, well, welcome to season two of Kitchen Table Cult. Thank you for joining us. Um, As you know, making the show takes a lot of time and energy, and we really appreciate all of your support, and there are a couple ways that you can do that. Most of them are free. First of them is you take a couple minutes to rate us on whatever podcast app of your choice it is that you're using and share the link with your friends and family. And the second one is go and support our Patreon. We are Kitchen Table Cult Pod on Patreon and your support keeps us going. We have a ton of cute little new tiers this year and it'll be good. We have plans. Um, the music on this episode is by the band The Heavens from their album Stenazzo. And if you want to shoot us a question or, um, you know, find out more about us, you can follow the link from our Patreon or uh, shoot us an email through our contact page on kitchentablecult.com. Thank you so much for all your support. And thank you so much for supporting us as we destroy fucking patriarchy. Or try to, anyway. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.